Hey, welcome to Wayfair, where you don't need money, you don't need fame, and you don't need a credit card to ride this train through Lent. In the midst of the slurry of sound bites, this podcast is like antimedia. It's filled with gaps and places for you to join in and respond. It's like tech support for your soul, but without the condescension, or all the turning things off and on again, or the voided warranties for that matter. It's only half finished on its own, though. It needs you to be complete. Together, we'll explore a variety of spiritual practices, old and new, from Lectio Divina to guided prayers and meditations. Each day of the week, we'll focus on a particular attitude or a spiritual posture. Today, we're thinking about generosity as we consider how we can be part of God's life-giving work. Now, throughout the podcast, you'll encounter a variety of voices, and you'll even be invited to participate. There will be places for you to respond in prayers and readings and songs. So join in as you feel led, unless you're still on the line with tech support. And in that case, God be with you. So, listen to your heart. Be attentive to the spark of the divine within you as we journey together. Hi, this is David. Will you pray with me? I will pray a thought and then leave time for you to respond with, I will share what you have given me. So after each thought, you can respond with, I will share what you have given me. Let's pray together. You have welcomed us into your presence. You have given us a home. You have been beside us when we were depressed. You have been patient with us when we were afraid. You have been most gracious to us when we were callous. You have been honest with us when we were false. You have given us a home. You have welcomed us into your presence. Someday we'll roll away the stone we have carried for so long. All our burdens will be gone, I can't wait. We will find our way to an understanding of all views, and no prayer will be Seems we have gone too far And now we don't know where we are I believe we'll find the guiding star I can't wait If faith is 
place where all fears have been erased. Locks have fallen from the gates. I can wait. Someday we'll roll away the stone that we have carried for so long. And all our burdens will be gone. I can't wait. Well, this week as we're thinking about unlearning power, we're talking with Dr. Laura Levins. Laura is a professor at Baptist Seminary of Kentucky in Georgetown, Kentucky a place that's near and dear to my heart because I graduated from there a few years back. Well, maybe more than a few now. But we're blessed to have Laura at BSK and also as a member at Central. Laura came by the other day and we started talking about how this week's theme of unlearning might be a little different than other weeks. How unlearning power really invites us to look more deeply at our own unconscious motivations, to understand the power that we possess and how we can use that power for life. Here's Laura. Whether it's the fact that you were overcharged in the checkout line, or that someone is being bullied next to you, or when you need to say, go to the voting booths or things like that, what is it that you've been conditioned to motivate, to exert some sort of agency in your life or agency on the behalf of someone else or defend something. To unlearn power means to really think about that carefully and think about that deeply and then think also about the ways in which people engage their agency. Do you become an agent to make change by violent means? Do you become an agent to make change out of your fear? Or are you actually thinking about how to exert your agency in a way that is going to preserve everyone's life, your own and your enemies, and the person that's defenseless? This is where conversations about power really interest me, and it's one of the reasons why I have been always drawn to people historical figures who may not have had the traditional modes of exerting power handed to them, or they have rejected those modes on purpose. Um, But a lot of times it's just they don't have access to them to begin with, like they don't have weapons. So they find a way to exert power without violent weapons. And at the same time, they find a way to realize how that may actually be more life-giving than if they had just taken up power through arms and violence. How we can access change and what we end up choosing is really intriguing to me. And it also seems to hinge on, is the person trying to engage and exert their power for life or for death? Um, even if it's feeble, even if the person doesn't get the change they hope for, the fact that they have tried to exert change for the cause of life and everyone's life, really, I find that drawing um, me in because I always am a person that is 
I'm a doer. I'm an actor. I want to fix it. I want to activate something. I want to empower someone, make them go, you know, and if I can do that towards life, then that's what I want to do. Um, if I can do that towards life, then my prayer is that I'm doing what Jesus would love me to do. I think of my work with Ann Judson, who was an early, early Baptist missionary. And now don't get me wrong, you know, there's this huge context for uh, missionaries in the early 1800s where there is this, like I said, there's this larger power dynamic going on and that they are in the middle of. They, even if a missionary says they're not in the middle of it, they are because you can't escape it. Um, forgetting that it's there is the worst thing. Not that Ann Judson would do that. She was highly aware and actually engaged in diplomatic activities in the midst of the traditional forms of power, which were an Asian empire, because she was in Burma, the Burmese empire, and its arms and trade and all these things, and then also the growing British empire right next door in eastern India, the Bengal region. They were neighbors, and so they were always testy, this Eastern and Western powers. And um, she found herself in the middle of that larger struggle. Who would, who would win? You know, who would be the upper hand? And what she did was, she did a lot of interesting things. First of all, she found that there was this alternative form of female diplomacy like so in terms of like political power the way that she could figure out to maintain peace and to show that the missionaries were in fact a different type of westerner was that she could go to the burmese wife like the ruler's wife and her channels and make the petitions and explain and become friends. And um, and I think that resulted in some really interesting effects. So you actually have also this channel in which not only is Anne able to get the safety and security that the compound needs, they need to just survive and not be thrown out of Rangoon, um, at the whim of Burmese politics, because that could be a traditional sign of power. I'll throw out any Westerner I want. Um, but also, it opened this really interesting channel of friendship where the ruler's wife, I'm, I would tell you her name, but she's never recorded that woman's name, which is also a form of power. Um, but that's for another story. Um, anyway, but this woman, this uh, vicerine, um, this ruler's wife, was able to minister to Anne after the death of Anne's son. So the vicerine's wife comes to call days after the funeral on her elephants and is taking the missionaries to, on a hike, a retreat, ride with the elephants to a picnic to just care for them. And so you have this really interesting interchange um, of this curious friendship that starts with this alternative mode for power um, and just trying to provide yourself with safety. The 
Another historical example I have looked um, at closely is from this African-American female evangelist from the 19th century. Her name was Julia Foote, and she was a woman who was barred from education, uh, both because of issues of poverty in which, you know, her family made her, they had to send her out to be a hired servant as a child. Uh, well, that didn't work out very well because uh, Julia Foote would not be beaten. <laughs> she just ran home, chopped up the whip and ran home. So there you go. Early childhood, let's refuse this traditional form of power where my white family can, you know, beat me for being a servant. Just, you know, that's just not going to, she's not going to do that. Um, but the other reason that she was denied education was just culturally, like the teacher that came to teach the African-American children of the town, the town found a way to lynch him. You know, the the ways in which she struggled uh, to go to church, and then the church would make her family sit, not just sit in the back of the church, but never should you go to the altar table to receive the Lord's Supper until every last white person has made their way. You are second at the Lord's table in her time, um, in her churches. And uh, Julia Foote called that holy error. She would call out this error of racism in the churches. Now, she had different language for it, obviously, um, but her response, this alternative form of power that was empowering to her was to talk about God's gift of perfection. So the erasure of all sin, um, because that could be her way to refuse anybody's claim that because she was black, she always carried some sin. But she would offer that to everybody, white people, black people, everybody needs this Holy Spirit gift total gift of perfection, um, and that it was about the cleansing and the empowerment of her body, of your body, that everybody in God's kingdom to actually be washed in baptism meant that your whole body was cleansed of sin. And that was a very powerful thing. It meant that she could preach as a woman um, because nothing about her womanness uh, in God's eyes or on earth would made her less than acceptable trumpet for the Lord's uh, gospel. And it also meant that nothing about her body as a black woman, as black uh, in, in America, made her less than acceptable to approach the Lord's table or to ride a railroad car or to live in any place or to travel anywhere. And she would travel anywhere. And in fact, she um, set up shop just north of us in Ohio, and that was where she sort of set up, where she set up to do a lot of her ministry. She's originally from New York, and ended up being quite close to us. Uh, well, at first, let's just say that even the African American church wasn't a big fan of this. <laughs> they uh, they tried to rein her in because, you know, there's this strange line when you're thinking of power games. When is something appropriate as an alternative form of power? And when does it wander into the public sphere and become this very radical, different type of power? And so, you know, it's fine if Julia Foote would do this, like, at a bedside or in someone's house. 
but it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And she said she was going to preach. And not only was Julia Foote going to preach, this is why I love her very much, she also began a ring of other women evangelists. Like she became the evangelist that would empower and teach the other women to do what she was doing. And so the church denominational body, at their conference meeting, their annual conference meeting, they tried to um, chastise her and remove her from the denomination. And Julia Foote also wouldn't have any of that because she was like, no, uh, we, we won't do that. And so what she did was travel to the same place where the denomination was to stand up and try to defend herself. And also she started an alternative women's meeting where all of these women evangelists got together to have this time of spiritual renewal and support. And so she's holding a revival to demonstrate what the Holy Spirit has given her to do and given all these other women to do at, right in the same town as the denominational meeting. And she's also saying, no, I refuse to let you dismiss me from this denomination. I'm yours, and I'm here, and this is what I'm doing. And, you know, 60, 70 years later, the denomination ordained her a deacon and then an elder. So right before she died, she eventually they saw her point, but... um She's another person that I think of when I think of, yeah, this innovation and how the gospel calls her to, yeah, trying these alternative forms of power that are for life, for hers and for others, that think very carefully about denouncing the errors of power that she sees too, because all the stories I've given you are from her own autobiography. She wrote them down to tell us all about it. all are enveloped in a certain context. We all carry different forms of power and lack of power based on our makeup, either where we're from, you know, and some of that is because no one is just black or just white. We're also male and we're also female. We're educated into a certain place. We're uneducated at other things. We um, were born with certain abilities or disabilities. I spent a few years actually trying to have as little power as possible. Um, I thought that might be a really good way to like, you know, I just learned about blindnesses. I just learned um, a lot of criticism of missionaries and the mission enterprise as being unintentionally or intentionally um, oppressive. And I can tell you lots of stories about that if you want to. I told you nice stories about alternative power, uh, but I can also tell you some very heart-wrenching stories uh, about people unintentionally or intentionally believing that because they carried the power of God, they were going to insist um, upon their own way as God's way. And again, I don't agree with that. The binds you get into when you think, oh, I have this, like I'm white and I'm educated, that's a whole lot of power that I hold in this society, even though I'm female, that um, other people around me don't have, and so I should give it up, or I should just give it up completely because I'm guilty, or I sh can't give it up at all, and so I should just 
sit in the corner and not change anything because I am tainted. I have already been formed to be white and I've already been formed to be educated and there's no way out of that. There is an element of of coming to realize one's limitations and constraints and the way that I've messed up in those thoughts, but those thoughts and that practice, it's not going to get me closer to Jesus, <laughs> and it's not going to actually get me closer to my neighbor, and it's not going to get me any closer to um, myself, you know, like who I really am and who God has called me to be. I, I'm just going to sit there or um, shrug my shoulders and say it's, you know, it's someone else. So what I've decided to actually start talking about is the fact that, again, knowledge of power, knowledge of limitations, and then also knowledge of our gifts, and realizing when can we speak up or act out or do something that may not fix the problem, because that's along down the road. Like, I think it's going to take all of us to fix problems. Um, but to speak up or to say something or to listen um, stand there and listen, be present. You know, you may learn more about your power, both the powers that are, that lead to death that you didn't know that you did, but now you do. And now you have to deal with that you to face it. Um, but it also may provide the means to discover how the Holy Spirit, like Julia Foote would say, has washed you and is trying to empower you to be clean. And, what can you do um, in a state of forgiveness? And then in a state where you have this power, again, that doesn't play by the rules, but it doesn't break anybody either. So it's this mysterious way. There's a tradition um of Baptists like us who've thought a whole lot about love and nonviolence as the way to social change and civil rights. And that doesn't, again, doesn't give in to the rules of death and violence just to obtain power, but instead finds this alternative source of power. We're not in alone in this. You know, it's worth the time to listen to your elders, I guess. <laughs> And at least that's what I have found, and as well as to listen to the people around you and to say when you try and you messed up um, and to try again and to make mistakes. Yeah. There was a lot more in our conversation that I wish we had time to include today, but I love this call to creativity this invitation to join in a process of speaking truth to power in unexpected ways. When Laura and I were talking, I felt like sometimes we were thinking about tech startups. I've been part of a few of these enterprises, and the philosophy behind many of them is that you put out a product, and you get somebody to use it, and then you iterate, and you iterate, and you constantly improve. And if you're going to fail, you do it quick, and you try to fail forward. You reinvent and you reimagine. So as we pray today, 
Let's adopt this ethos for a few minutes. We're going to be creative. So take the pressure off yourself to get things right the first time, and instead, fail forward. Let's take a few minutes to try to finish this sentence. God created me too. Now, you don't have to answer this question in full. Don't try to do that. Just answer it in part. Finish the sentence for for today, or for this evening, or for this month, or for this year. God created me too. And don't put any pressure on yourself to get it right. Just experiment with finishing the phrase. Brainstorming, if you will. There aren't any wrong answers. Just make some guesses. Maybe you'll get an idea that will lead to another idea and another. Maybe you'll even think of something that you can try. So now we'll play some quiet music and give you a few minutes to contemplate finishing this sentence. God created me too. Let's pray. God, open our eyes to see how we can be agents of change for life.
God, thank you for inviting us to be part of your life-giving work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, now that we've done some contemplative dreaming together, maybe take some time to think about one thing that you can do to move toward doing what God has created you for. If you're like me, you might have a hard time setting goals and an even harder time following through with them. So let me suggest a little app that I found after listening to another podcast, NPR's Hidden Brain. It's called Whoop. That's W-O-O-P. And it's not as crazy as it sounds. It's an evidence-based mental strategy to help develop habits or make changes. And it's pretty cool. You can find it in the app store of your choice or go to whoopmylife.com. That's W-O-O-P. They're not giving us any money or anything like that. It's just a simple app that I found helpful for setting goals in my own life. So, thanks for listening today. Hey, we're collecting Beatitudes. You know, the sayings of Jesus we find at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Who would Jesus call blessed today? Write your own Beatitude and call it in. Just leave a message at 859-813-0150. That's 859-813-0150. Or you can find the number in our show notes for the day. Wayfarer is a production of Central Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, a loving, healthy, and progressive gathering of Christians where everyone is welcome, no exceptions. Find out more about Central at LexCentral.com. This episode was produced by me, Aaron Austin. Thanks to everyone who joined in, and thanks to you for listening. Join us tomorrow for another step along the journey.